want to welcome everybody to this roundtable discussion. And before we begin, I want to introduce you to a few of my friends that we've gathered down here in the Kingdom Restoration Lab, the KRL, down here at First Presbyterian Church, hoping that this conversation among friends can really feed our family so that we can know the grace of God more fully and move forward together in unity to serve Him more faithfully and fruitfully. The Kingdom Restoration Lab is beginning to reopen. We are reserving our neighbors. Our social workers are down here. Uh, we're excited about that. So if you hear a bump or a noise, uh, that's just kingdom activity happening outside the doors. But here around this table, I'd like to introduce you to several good friends of mine. Natalie Hardy uh, is the executive director of City Reachers here in San Antonio. She's been here for over two decades, and uh, I've gotten to know her through um, the board of Unicity. We're very glad you're here. Officer Doug Green is with the San Antonio Police Department. He uh, is originally from South Texas, uh, but Officer Green has been with the SAPD for almost a decade now, a little over a decade. Uh, and his heart for this city is tangible, and you will get a clear picture of that and his deep faith. A man who needs no introduction in our First Presbyterian Church family is our spiritual leader, father, and friend, Pastor Terrell Jackson with Church in the Streets and FBI. Uh, we are very glad that you're able to join us today. And the man who stands in the boots of P.B. Hill, Dr. Reverend Bob Fuller, uh, we're glad you're here. This is a conversation among friends so that we can learn together, and we want to listen. And I want to start off, I'm just going to jump right into the discussion. Natalie, I'm going to ask you the first question, and I hope that everyone will share uh, their response. My question is, how, how did you feel and how have you felt, Natalie, uh, after watching and after the, the death of George Floyd uh, and the reaction that has come throughout our communities and our country? Well, I'm going to speak personally first. Um, I could not believe what I was seeing. Uh, I had, uh, I never watched the video because I could never get past the photograph of the officer with his knee and his neck. I couldn't get past that and the look on his face. He looked totally indifferent, angry, callous, and I could not believe that he was doing this to another person. And so I was angry. I couldn't talk very much for the first day because I didn't want the wrong things to come out. And so I did some crying, did some praying, and after a period of time, after 24 hours, I was able to communicate a bit. Um, but it was man's inhumanity to man, that's what it was. Mm. I didn't immediately um, uh, go into racism because as a believer, I don't see things through that lens. I don't. That may seem strange as a black person, and maybe those watching this may find that strange to hear, but I believe in the kingdom of God, and in the kingdom of God, there's no race in the kingdom. We are all washed by the blood of Jesus, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, so I see things through that lens of Scripture, not of my own personal experience. But you did feel that personally. Absolutely, you? I did. How about you, Officer Green? Yeah, you know, it was very disturbing to me. Uh, I was very angry, and I, like you said, Natalie, this was, to me, not necessarily a police issue situation. This was a issue of that officer's heart mm -hmm. and his lack of compassion. Mm -hmm. 
And I couldn't help but think, what what trauma did you experience? What Who hurt you? When did they hurt you? And why are you turning that hurt into the pain of somebody else? And uh, and so I and, and there's one thing that I noticed. You, you, you unfortunately see so many of these videos. But listening to Mr. Floyd, he was very compliant. And if, if you listen to what he says, he says, please, officer. In a lot of different videos, you'll see that the officer's either getting cussed out, the, the person's very belligerent, there's some kind of resistance. There was none of that from Mr. Floyd. He was very compliant. And I really wanted to jump through that TV and grab that officer and tell him, Listen, this, you are tarnishing the badge. This is not, well, first of all, what God has called us to do as servants and as representatives of our community. Uh, we are here to help people not to hurt people okay and so his his use of force was very much excessive and i feel that the uh the punishment was was due uh but i i really was was thinking about what's going on in that officer's mind and in his heart and in his past pastor when you saw the video footage and the reaction tell me tell me how you felt tell me what you're experiencing when i when i first saw it uh I was I was I was really hurt. I was hurting, um, and I was hurting because I've seen this more than once, more than twice, more than three times, and I've seen it done to black men. Okay, um, I was angry. If I told you I wasn't, I'd be lying. But I was I was angry, and. Uh, I was laying down looking at it, and I was just praying. I was saying, Lord, what is going on? You know, what's happening? You know, how is it so easy for a black man to be killed, murdered? And uh, Mr. Floyd was not shot. Most of the men were shot to death. This man was choked to death. While he was by, asking, while he was inquiring, to, "Hey, for I, mercy. I cannot breathe," and so I personally, I had to get myself together, because when you see something like that, being a man of God, being a pastor, a leader in the community, you have to really watch your thoughts, and being in a church that's multiracial, multicultural, our church is mixed, so I had to really pray. You know, and being that I came up in the in the 70s with uncles that were prejudiced, that planted bad seeds in me when I was young. And uh, I just could not believe what I saw. I was hurting. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm better, much better than I was the first three days that I saw it. Because here I am viewing all of the the protesting, what everybody's doing. It was the first thing everybody just began to react. Nobody was responding right. So I was I was I was really I was really messed up. Thank you for your honesty on that and just a window into your vulnerability or your feelings. You were angry. Yes. But also the tension that mm-hmm. I know you've wrestled with just the the your fleshy nature. Yes. And, yes I did. And what it means to be a child of God. Mm-hmm part of a diverse family. And, yes. Uh, I just want to thank you for that vulnerability, Pastor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Bob, tell us about when you watched the video or when you uh, saw the news and the reaction. How, how, how have you felt? How have you reacted? Well, the, the first thing, I, I saw it on the news first. And then when the video was released, I, I, just, I went and watched the video. And the, the three words that come to mind, for, first of all, was, was, was just disbelief just disbelief i guess for me it was it was not only that those officers but that that there was a crowd of people that stood around and watched that happen my my, my first i guess in my, my first thought in that was why doesn't somebody break ranks and stop this somebody's got to step in here and then i you know and then then i was kind of hit by the with a, a wave of shame which was okay but there, but for the grace of God, go I. Would I have broken ranks? Mm. Would I have, mm. would I have jumped in and intervened had I been there? It's easy for me to 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 watch it later and say, I would have stepped in. I would have jumped in. I would have done something. But just that, I think that disbelief and that that shame um, on on those two things, and then just just the overall anger of it, just the just feeling. Um, just that overwhelming feeling. I, I remember very palpably uh, when there were the the horrible massacre at the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a couple years ago. When that hit very close to home for me, I'm from South Carolina. I was living there at the time. I remember how 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 close that felt, and and, and I think I and and the same feeling of shame. Why why didn't somebody step in there? Why didn't somebody step in in this? And I think those it's a it's a real mess of feelings about all that. The other three men that were standing there, and I, and I wanted to ask you, Officer Green, is it some kind of code of honor that when something is going on like that? Because I thought about had this not been on video, I mean, we wouldn't have never know right now. We probably wouldn't be here. Does anybody, I mean, within the uh, 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 law enforcement, and you see this stuff on TV a lot, you know, that they don't give up one another. They stick together. You know what I'm saying? And and were those three officers at a point where they just like, hey, we're not going to do nothing because we stick together? What, you know, I've seen that happen so much. You know, nobody intervenes. Well, that's a, that is a good question a lot of people are asking. Do you feel comfortable answering that? Well, you know, it's 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 tough to say what was on those guys' hearts and what was on their minds and what exactly was going on at that particular incident that caused them not to do it. So I feel I feel kind of tough to speak exactly for them. Okay. Just speaking in, in, in general for my own personal experience, my experience with the San Antonio Police Department, we have the understanding that we've been called to serve people mm-hmm. and to protect people, okay? And if, if and it's in our policy that if we don't take action against one of our own and they're going excessive, then you're held just as guilty for that. And so as it should be. And that's why that's one thing why I love our department, because they hold us to a higher standard as we should be held. But they start this right off the gate out of the gate uh, when they tell you, listen, here in the state of Texas, you have to have at least a 70 to pass. San Antonio Police Department, you need to maintain an 80 and above. High standards here. Yeah. I like it. And so that's, it's, it's high standards right out of the gate. I, I wish I could say, man, every officer that comes yeah. through there, I mean, they're, they're all human. But most of all, when you're talking about culture, 
that's that's the the culture that we have and i can tell you that in the past if somebody started to to, to raise a little bit of a, a red flag another officer the older officers would come in and say hey 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 you know what you need to cut that out you know what you're doing it you're making it harder for me to go home to my family when you're mistreating people so we're going to draw the line either you cut it out or you and I are going to have to have a very serious conversation. Well, and I'll, and I'll say from what I know that SAPD, what you've shared, there is a lot of longevity on our on the force here. And I would just want to note, you might not read this in the headlines, but the chaplain for the SAPD has been there for 30 years. And they pray for the blue when they go out every day. And that's a powerful thing in our city, and I, I'm grateful for that. But let me push in a little bit on your question, but I want to flip it. Uh, I think a question a lot of uh, my African-American friends are asking or where's 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 the church been? I mean, the police are standing there watching George Floyd suffocate, and they don't do anything. We understand asking that question, but a lot of my African American friends are going, "Where's the church been?" And we're angry. We we haven't. I mean, it take a really difficult video to even have this conversation. What what does the uh, rest of the church need to hear from African Americans right now, leaders. What do we need to hear that we have not been hearing in our um, lack of awareness of feeling the pain, uh, of feeling the injustice? What do we need to hear? I believe that you know. I think it's not so much as not so much as what we need to hear, but we need to know that laws are in place. To, to train officers uh, in situations like that on, on what to do and what not to do. Um, I think that uh, if there's a lack of training and it's not in stone, I believe we as black African Americans, we need to know that officers just can't just do that because it just seems so easy mm. for it to to take place, you know. And so uh, I believe as a, as a body of, 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 of believers, the church, we need to know that there are laws that's going to back people up when that happens. Well, the, the, the sub-narrative you're saying, Pastor, <clears throat> is that, that it is, there's a different reality with the uh, enforcement of the laws for the African-American community than there is for say, a uh, community that's affluent, largely middle class, uh, um, white, uh, First Presbyterian Church. Yes. Is that what I'm hearing you saying? Yes, yes. And we need to feel that uh, lack of um, well, justice. That, yeah, that, yes, uh, no, no equity is there. You know what I mean? I mean, it's no fairness, no, 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 no equality. You know, it just seems like it's so easy for... Uh, the law enforcement, and this is not everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about everybody, and I, you know, everybody's not. You can't judge everybody, but a tree is known by its fruit. You know what I mean? If we keep seeing that, then there's no law there. There's no. It's hard to even get justice when that happens. Mm. It's it's hard for for them to get a conviction when that happens. We've seen that happen, and we've just seen people walk away and with a pat, you know, on the hand, and then leave one city or state and go somewhere else and do the same thing. So mm. there's not a... No accountability. We need to know that there's a law. We need to be, have that assurance. We need to feel comfortable with that, that, hey, when, some, when that happens immediately, something, 
something happens, not that you just don't have your job, you go back home. There needs because if it happens to anybody else, they're going to be arrested and they're going to be convicted. Yeah. So we need to know that. We yeah. just we need to have that assurance that some law is there to 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 administer immediately something happens. Yeah, and and uh several of my friends have, you know, they've challenged me. Ask ask other African Americans if they've been pulled over just for being black. Yes. Have you? Oh, uh I felt like I have. Yeah. And uh, let let me say this. And so too. that but that's a question I asked that and yeah. I know you weren't prepared for that, but that is something that I think I I've never been pulled over just just because I'm suspicious looking. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never been considered suspicious looking just because of the color of my skin. Um, and I've never had to feel like when I'm approaching uh, a situation where I need justice to be fair, where the cards are actually stacked against me because of my ethnicity. And I'm hearing you say that you have experience. Yes. That. Well, let me let me just kind of input this right here. Here lately, I haven't been feeling comfortable if an officer pulls me over. If it's nighttime, I'm afraid. I'm cautious to pull over, and I didn't used to feel like that, mm. okay? But lately, seeing all these things happen, I am almost don't wouldn't want to pull over on a dark street. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what I'm sensing. How does that sincerely. make you feel, Officer Green, as a policeman? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised at all by just— Myself as a policeman, if I get pulled over, it's 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 a little bit nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. <laughs> you've for, been pulled over for, for for a lot of people. It's it's. Wait, uh, you've been pulled over? Well, not in my police car. <laughs> oh, but no, all, all, <laughs> of course <laughs> not. <laughs> but I mean, it it is a a situation where you know you feel like okay, I'm in trouble for something. Right. What's going to happen? There's a lot of unknown, and uh, and so yeah, I've, you know, I've thought about this, and and I can see where people can have that anxiety, uh, you know, and there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. Uh, you don't know exactly what call that officer had prior to pulling mm-hmm. you over. Yes. Uh, and I, I do want people to keep in mind that, you know, if we go, we may respond to a, a horrible traffic accident and, you know, saw a fatality and had to handle that accident and saw all the sorrow in that. Well, you just can't call it a night after that. You have to continue to go mm-hmm. and answer those calls. People are waiting mm-hmm. to be served. Mm-hmm. So it's sometimes, depending on what's going on in that officer's personal life and how he's adjusting to that, but he's still, now, now I see you drive by, you don't have a seatbelt on, I just came from a traffic accident where bodies were ejected. You know, depending, again, on the officer, his emotions right, and absolutely. so forth. Um, and so those are some of the things you have to take into effect. These are not excuses, right. but these are something that we need to have conversations about, talking about the mindset of officers when they're, when they're pulling people over. At the end of the day, they have an obligation. We have an obligation to treat every single person with dignity, okay? And maybe us officers, we can be a little bit more vulnerable and say, hey, sir, uh, my name's Officer Green. Listen, I've had a rough day. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to be mean or rough to you, but listen, I saw you didn't have your seatbelt on. There's, there's ways to approach it. But sometimes officers, they're, they're dealing with divorce. Divorce rate is high, uh, dealing with a lot of things in their, in their personal life. So it's, it's some things that we have to process. Yeah. While we're while we're trying to uh, be a, be good servants to our city. Well, I appreciate you responding to that and for your honesty. I'd love to hear from you all. Uh, what is what does the church need to hear right now? Um, I'm still on that question, Natalie. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, what what does the church need to hear? Wow, that's such a big question. For me, it all boils down to the kingdom of God. I know I've said that before, but 
Jesus is the king and he is ruling over our lives. If we are in his word, his word should be in us. And that's how he rules over us through our obedience to his word. And so I think churches, though, should preach uh, the fact that the kingdom is not a race thing. You know, this says not slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. They're all in the kingdom. And so I think that message needs to be presented to churches so that we get past this race issue and we recognize that in God, in Christ, we're all one, that we are called to be one. And it doesn't matter how old you are, what color you are, what ethnicity, what race, none of those things matter. In God, we're all washed and cleansed by that blood. We're all made whole by that blood. And we are called to be one. And we are called to be something. We are new creations. That's what my Bible says says so there's nothing like us on the face of the earth the blood of jesus was that strong that could change us into something new brand new that didn't exist before and so we have a responsibility to live to that level which is word-based i love it and so not not to let the uh, societal unrest and the cultural conflict to drag us down to the lowest common denominator. We are not of this picture. world. We are see not of this world. Scripture exactly. Scripture has for us new creations in a new community with a risen king. And Ephesians 3 says that the dividing wall of hostility has been torn, has been down. torn down. Amen. And Jesus is our peace. Amen. And if we settle for anything less, then we are not settling for God's best. That's right. Bob, how would you, how would you answer that question? You, you know, I kind of was hearing your, I heard your question Two different ways and two different times, and 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 I'm going to speak to both of them. And that's not that's not because of you. That's just just kind of tossing around in my mind. The first the first question I heard was, "What does you know? What do your friends need to hear from the church?" And then the second one you asked Natalie, uh, what I heard was, "Was what does the church need to hear?" And that's that's two very well, different. Let's questions. hear both of them. So Pastor. so the so the first the, the first, what do we what do we need to hear? What do people need to hear from the church? I think. I think first of all, what people need to hear from the church is humility. Mm. They need to hear. I mean, uh, and and that and that will cover a variety of answers here. So I'm not going to elaborate and break that down too much. But a lot of humility. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of equating the the whole accountability thing between, like, say, for example, Officer Green, what you all in in the police community, police world, are having to do. It's kind of like when a a pastor or a priest or a youth director gets gets accused of child abuse or sexual abuse or sexual harassment it's, it 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 is a it, it is a stain on all of us mm. and and we have to and i think one thing that the world needs to hear from us is the humility and the transparency to say we are going to hold ourselves accountable and right. to a higher standard right um and then, so so I think I think that humility and that accountability is something that the that the world needs to hear from us. Um, of course, we need to we need to be very plain about saying exactly, Natalie, what you've said, Mitchell, what you were saying about about preaching the kingdom of God. Now, what do we need to hear? I mean, my ears have, are just getting bigger and bigger. You know, I, I, I was I, I haven't really chased this down, but it's like you know. It, it, the Apostle James says a whole, he has a great little tirade, a godly tirade about the tongue. Yes, he, but he does. does but, he <laughs> but he doesn't ever say, you know what? And be careful of your ears too. You know, you're <laughs> you're listening to people too much. He says he says watch your mouth. But he doesn't say he doesn't say shut your ears down. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's just an old bit of just good old just good old proverbial wisdom that you know God gave you 
two ears and one mouth so that you would yeah. listen twice as much as you speak. And James says and, it in one thirteen. Right. I think. He says, be slow to speak and mm. quick to listen. Yeah. And he actually, I think, takes that from Ecclesiastes 5 mm-hmm. where wisdom would compel us. Mm-hmm. It says, mm-hmm. go to the Lord, yeah. listen, and learn. Yeah, so I yeah. don't know that it's as much so much... I mean, what the church needs to hear, they, you know, the church, we need to hear this conversation, mm. and we need to we need to listen better. <laughs> we just need to listen better because we we kind of hear what we want to hear and disregard the the rest. Right. So I th- I think but that's so th- where humility comes yeah. in, and I think if we have bigger ears, to use your metaphor, we might have bigger hearts for one another. But one thing that this is exposed is that there is a race problem. There's racial injustice in the church. There's, there's division. I mean, it was Dr. Martin Luther King who said the most divided hour of our country is Sunday morning. Uh, would you agree? Bob, I'll start with you on this one. Would you believe that there is a race problem in the church? Well, one of the, the things that you brought up in our, our pre-discussion was that uh, a recent Barna study had said that 60% of white evangelicals do not consider themselves racist. And I, my, my initial thought in hearing that is that that's low. Um, I, I think probably more than that think they are not racist. Right. And I would say even more, uh, whatever the number is, it's more than they think they are. And, right. And, and I, and because I self-awareness is difficult. Self-awareness It's hard is to be yeah. honest and say, you know what, I'm a racist. And that's part of my story, part of my journey. Yeah, mine that's too. how the gospel has grabbed me mm-hmm. and, and really compelled me to confess. Yeah. I was a racist, and I still struggle. Uh, with just that fleshy mm-hmm. side of me, mm-hmm. but it's hard to be self-aware. So well, and and you know, just as as I look at it, part of it too is I grew up with a very limited, very a very easily satisfiable definition of racism. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as I didn't call people by particular names, mm. or you know, as long as I literally didn't burn a cross in somebody's. I mean, it, it was it was pretty easy for me to grow up thinking I was not a racist right. because the, the the standard was so low. Um, but as, but as you get, he grew up in South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and, but as you get, as you become more aware, you start to realize, no, this is, it, it's not just, mm. it's not just the active things that I do or don't do. It's about the things that I allow. It's about the things that I perpetuate. It's right. about the things that I dismiss i mean one of the questions you would ask is when was the last time you experienced racism i I could say that i've experienced racism 60 70 100 times since george floyd was 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 killed but not because but it wasn't it was never directed toward me it was it was other other white people other white christians defending joking about you know Professing, right? You know, I mean, I, if I minimizing, minimizing, thank you. That's justifying. I mean, I've I've heard I've heard white Christians justifying it, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's inexcusable. And I appreciate this the way you started, Natalie. Just uh, you kept it in the context that he is a man, a man in creating God's image. And there's actually testimony from Houston that he was a Christian and left a, a biblical legacy. Christianity Today did a great article on George Floyd to that extent. So absolutely, our self-awareness is low. Uh, the bar that we're keeping up as far as the kingdom of God is not high enough. Um, but you know, racism is something 
that is well, real in our church. Yeah, but, like for example, I—I I mean, I, I'll confess, I did not know. I—I I knew kind of a, the 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 idea, but I didn't. I'd never heard the term redlining till I was in my till I was probably in my late forties. You know, th- that was just. Yeah, I, I assumed that white folks chose to live in this neighborhood because that's where they lived or grew up, and black folks decided to live yeah. in this neighborhood because that's where they wanted to live, and that yeah. that was just the way. It was. Never, never even occurred to me to ask ask the question: Was that were people forced or funneled or anything? Sure, like that? I mean, yeah. from as far as the housing authority from a national level, there's been discrimination. In a great example of redlining, the book I referred to yesterday uh, before I preached, one of them. Uh, was called Race in Place, and it will give a beautiful description of that, and you'll realize we're sitting here at First Presbyterian Church right across 37 on the, on the east side, 02, that's a redlined area. Mm-hmm. Why in the world is there such disparity? Mm-hmm. Why is it so racially segregated? Well, that was a systematic um, implementation of different laws. So, yes, look into redlining. We need to be more educated on it, but you're a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, Pastor Jackson, what, how, do we, how do we overcome the racial division and the wounds that are being exposed? Well, I, I, I want to say this, that when you, when you say how do we overcome it, I don't believe we will actually really ever overcome it, okay? Uh, I had this little scenario that when you bake a cake, okay, and if that cake is full of poison, after the icing is put over it, you don't know that. Mm until you partake of that cake. And you know, when I when I when I came into partnership with you all, that was one of my concerns. You know, uh I'm hearing something, but am I going to partake of something different? Hmm. You understand what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. So so you know, being being a black man and uh being reared by uncles that were prejudiced you know, born in the 40s, came up in the 50s and 60s. So uh, I had an uncle that, that actually would teach me and tell me that the white man was the blue-eyed devil. Hmm. And that was planted in me at a kid at 8, 9, and 10 years old. And it wasn't until I had a personal relationship with Jesus that things began to change for me, hmm. okay? And I began to see people different. And I be, begin to believe that all men were equal because I was taught that we're not. So, you know, is it in the church? Yes, it is in the church. It's there. Because uh, 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 it's, it's in our it, hearts. And, and it may be unconsciously biased. You know, you, you know some people uh, are not going to uh, uh, profess it, uh, uh, but some people will show it at certain times. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. So, so, you know... Um, I would like to believe uh, that until we minister humility and love and minister people, I don't care what color they are, uh, until they have a true born-again experience with Jesus, you you cannot get rid of racism. Hmm. Uh, uh, now, in, in your heart you can, but overall we probably never. My grandchildren's children's children may still be experiencing with this. Why? Because it's a spirit. Hmm. It's a spirit. It's a it's a it's a spiritual pandemic that has been in our country, nation, world forever. Well, it's the early church. It so, was the it was the Hellenist widows in yep. Acts six who were not receiving 
they're just provision. Yes. And yes. that was a race thing. Yes. They weren't Jewish. Yes. And uh, it was Peter in the early church, Galatians 2, who uh, sided with the Jews. Yes. That was an ethnicity race thing. And and it's a human uh, heart issue. And you said, Officer Green, you've experienced racism uh, as a cop, right? Yeah. Not until you were. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Give us a window into that. And re- it reveals it's a heart issue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, when I was uh, working off duty at a, at a, at a place here in, in San Antonio and crowds of people were coming in and uh, bringing their families, bringing their kids and I just love to see the kids. I love when the kids come up to me and uh, just to get to interact with me and give them some stickers. And that's just, it's so fulfilling for me. And, and it's it, it just, there's so much power in a child. Mm. Um, but I've had some black families that have walked by me and they pull their children away. And they make a, a point to avoid me. Or if they see the child coming next to me or coming towards me, they'll grab their hand and pull them away. Mm. I've heard uh, black people tell me that I should be ashamed of myself for being a police officer. Mm. And so uh, all of that, uh, and again, I've, I've never really experienced things like that until I became a police officer. Wow. And, you know, it would seem that the church being proactive, that we would uh, hold uh, police officers, agents of justice in our city at a very high level, and that we should encourage our children. If we want to reform a children, uh, our system, then grow up and be a godly, just police officer like you. So thank you for modeling that and sticking with it and for sharing that. Natalie? I just want to respond to the children thing again. Yes. Because I don't think anyone is born a racist. Hmm. It is Hmm. taught. Taught. Hmm. It is taught by different Hmm. experiences, like what you're talking about, Hmm. get away, you know. Uh, And there are ways that you signal these things to our children, and they they grow up to become what we are saying is hateful. Hmm. And so they are taught that. And so maybe one of the things churches can do is do something in the children's ministry to begin to combat it there. Right. So before they even get into school, get it there. You know, let me, let me say this. Or they can show this video to their kids. That's one of the things. So that they can see <laughs> leaders listening, learning from one another. Uh, and rebuilding trust. That one might conversation. be for the teen ministry, though, not the little one. I'm talking about the little one. <laughs> the itty bitties. <laughs> the itty bitties. No, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. And just as it is taught on the one hand, on the other hand, we can teach a gospel, biblical model of how to treat people with dignity. Pastor, you know, uh, Officer Green, you said something, and 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 uh, it, you know, I have a seven-year-old, and he wants to be a policeman. I mean, he's adamant. I mean, really adamant about it. Now, when he's seen all of this that's going on, mm. he asked me a question. And or I asked him a question to see what he said. I say, do you still want to be a policeman? And he said, I don't know, Papa. He said, maybe I might go to the Army, mm. you know. And uh, I didn't ask him why at that point. I wanted to hear what his response was because he's so adamant about being a police officer. And he began to ask me questions. What I realized, it is my responsibility as a parent to teach him that all policemen are not like that. Mm-hmm. See, see, I had, I had a different teaching. It was, it was a time when, when racist was high. People were angry, right? And seeds were planted in me. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, so, and when so, seeds are so, planted, a harvest comes later. And so it's very imperative that within the body of Christ, 
we teach our little ones as well as the teenagers, you know, that, hey, all officers are not that because they're here to protect us. That's right. But we want that assurance. We want to feel like that's what's happening. You know, that's what we're getting. You know, and that's why when I started off, we need laws established because it's just too much liberty. Right. For, to, to, not to enough see, accountability. And, and not enough accountability. And I would say that as a city of San Antonio, we have a real opportunity here because there's so many multicultural churches right. in the city. So if we begin to employ this with our children, we can do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Just that one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just replanting. Sowing seeds into the hearts of children will lead to a harvest of, of unity and love later. That's great. And I know, actually, Officer Green, you actually do some trust rebuilding with with youth on the east side, with one of our church's really valued ministry partners, S.A. Heels, Charlie Foltz. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you're trying to rebuild trust with children in the community. Absolutely. And this is something that I I notice even all the way back to the situation in Ferguson that really kind of sparked a lot of uh, attention on on, uh, police relations and so forth. But but I, I noticed that you have to have an impact on kids. I don't know what they were hearing at home, how they're uh, receiving all of this. So I said, you know, I asked SAPD, can I go to the schools? Yes. Let me talk to them. I'm not going to go preach to them, but have a conversation with them. And so we develop success through respect. And where we go and we talk to the fifth graders all the way up to college, and we talk about law enforcement. And, And the officers who give this presentation, by the end of the presentation, it was required uh, it's not written in policy, but I asked them, please, by the end of this presentation, tell these babies, tell these kids that you love them, that you care about them. Because they may not be hearing that at home, and they may never in their life hear that from a police officer. And there's a lot of power in that. And then we become vulnerable, right? And we express accountability through these kids, okay? And so through that, I've, I've noticed a lot of growth. Uh, by the end of the presentation, I don't want to leave. I want to stay with these kids. And this is where I feel like the community can probably step in and, and even the church can step in mm. and help mm. because my, my goal is I'm going to at-risk schools. Mm. Okay, I want to spend time with these kids. Uh, but I, I'm one man. Uh, we can't get to, to everybody. Right. But with SA Heels, I'm, I'm really focused on sitting down and having one-on-one conversations and listening to two ears. I, I'm not here to, to necessarily just defend all police officers. Every police officer does everything right, right everything right. by the book. No, I'm here to, to listen and say, okay, you know what? You're right. We can we can work on that. And I can see where you're where you're coming from. Uh, that's what it's all about, and and, and making that connection. And, th- and I think there's some important questions that we need to ask each other. And I want to challenge everybody to ask other people. First of all, if you come across a police officer, ask him why did he become a police officer. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're getting to the heart of the matter. And don't don't settle for all oh, just to protect and serve. No. Why? Tell me why. Who were your influences? Okay. The next question I would ask, I uh, want to encourage people to ask themselves and to ask others, and particularly in the black community, do you believe your, do you believe your life matters? Mm. And if they say no, we got to have a really good conversation. Because if they don't, that, that's a a heart sick moment that's exactly that means that they right. don't have hope so that's that's the foundation of all of this i think you can apply it to any profession yes. i get an opportunity to talk to the officer say man if, if you if you got jesus in your life man it's going to take your career to another level he already knows the calls before you start your shift well <laughs> i i just want to say officer that it's that level of integrity intentionality 
that just humbles me about you, that you go on an individual level in a neighborhood, a school level, uh, to rebuild that trust. And I, I, I wanted to hear everybody to hear about that because that, I think, is what we need to do as a church. We do need to stop and ask questions and listen and to empower dignity and to speak hope, life, and love to one another. And so thank you for sharing that. And I just want to parlay that into our, our final question. I'd just love to hear what is one final thing that you would love to say to our First Pres Church family that's going to listen to this, but uh, really others who listen to it too that are, that are navigating a season with a lot of societal strife. There's a lot of conflict, and um, a lot of it needs to be heard. What do you say to the church, Natalie? Well, for my white sisters and brothers, don't believe the narrative that says you're supposed to feel guilty. That's a lie. Don't go there. Just love, and the love of God will be there to help you, to help all of us. Mm. And so that's what I would say. Just focus on the love of God. Thank you. It is the strongest force, I believe, on the face of the earth. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. Jesus so loved the world, he left his place in glory and came, put on human flesh, took our sins upon himself. He had no sin, took our sin. That only love would do that. Amen. And the scriptures talk about scarcely would a good man die for, you know. And so here he is, took our our sins upon himself. So I think. While we were his enemies. Absolutely. And so that was the most powerful thing. And, And so we're all washed and cleansed by that blood and so there's no need for uh my white brothers and sisters to feel guilty there's no condemnation in christ thanks for keeping our eyes on a higher level and your heart for our city is beautiful pastor jackson what would you say as we close Uh, i would i would i want to say what uh what john said in first john uh to my brothers and sisters at first press all of my white brothers and sisters all over the world uh yes you don't have to feel guilty and uh john said uh, how is it that you say that you love uh, me, uh, uh, but yet you 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 see your brother uh, that you see every day and you can't love him? And then the other part is that hmm. I want to say to you is that if you if you feeling any guilt, uh, 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 or, or you may be dealing with some racism, uh, I forgive you. I forgive you, and uh, I love you, and it is my duty as a Christian, not not a pastor, but as a man that names the name of Jesus Christ. He said, if I don't forgive you, I can't be forgiven. Mm. So I want you to know that I love you and I forgive you. And I want us to be able to work together and serve in our community and do what we need to do to bring the body of Christ to the standard where it needs to be. That's beautiful and powerful. And there, and there is a need when the Spirit convicts us. Uh, to repent, but we don't define ourselves by that guilt. There's no condemnation, so we rise to a higher level, and we can't do it without extending forgiveness to one another. Yes. I got goosebumps on that, Pastor. That was good stuff. I don't think it's the AC. I think that was the spirit. <laughs> Officer, do you want to say one last thing? And, and then Bob will give the final word. Well, just two sayings are coming to my mind, and I remember when we had the 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 Rewo Rise prayer rally down in at, right. at downtown, that which was just beautiful. And that was actually the first night that we didn't have any real violence and destruction in downtown San Antonio when everybody came together and just powerfully believing in prayer. And I remember right before the, the, the protesters were walking up to Travis Park before 
the the uh, the rally was going to start, and they were uh, chanting "No justice, no peace, no justice, no peace." But I heard. No Jesus, no peace. Mm. No Jesus, no <laughs> peace. And that's the N-O, right. no Jesus, no peace. And then there's the K-N-O-W. That's right. No Jesus, no peace. That, that is the foundation that's going to carry us through all of this. And then the other thing that I, I heard in my head as through our discussions is, uh, let me try my best to get through this, but I had a dear friend, mentor, Coach Aaron Houston, 32 years of dedicated service, man of God in the school system, poured his life into me. And his saying was, good enough isn't good enough. Uh, he ch challenged all of us. He challenges me to this day. And I want to challenge anybody that's, that's listening here to ask yourself, as a Christian, as a person, the way are you living your life? Are you, just, are you living in complacency? Are you living comfortable? Or is, it just, is your life just good enough? Well, God means he meant so much more for you. Mm. And so uh, uh, and when we start to challenge ourselves in, in faith, uh, and don't let the devil use fear against you. Uh, God is, he's a strong foundation. He will get you through this, but good enough isn't good enough. We can all do better. And we're better together. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much, officer. Reverend? Yeah, I, I, a lot of this has to do with what I'm thinking about a lot for my sermon this weekend, but you know, it, it just grabs me that preview, that the, preview. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to process this with y'all. Uh, no, it, it, it strikes me that the first words of Jesus's public ministry were repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's also the first thing Jesus, that uh, Peter said on the day of Pentecost when people said essentially not what shall we do? That's one read it, read it, but what are we supposed to do now? You know, after he had said, you, you know, you have, you've killed this innocent man, you've killed Jesus of Nazareth, but, but neither in Jesus's position, I don't think when he said it, and I think when Peter said it, neither of them said it as a repent in the sense of, yeah, neither of them said repent as in the sense of condemnation. They said, they said repent as a, as an, as a word of rebel, of liberation, repent as a word of rebel of liberation that's it's a way that that god sets us free and, and and just a few verses later peter says you know that that we need to he says save yourselves from this corrupt generation and it's not and i don't mean the corrupt generation like my parents or grandparents generation or anything like that but but this cycle this 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 thing that keeps going around you know god through jesus christ through his power has given us the, the resources that we need to get out of that generational loop mm -hmm. and, and move to the kingdom of God that we're supposed to give as a gift to the world and share it. And to, when you were speaking, Officer Green, I remembered a, I remembered a coach that I had when, when I was in college who, who caught me after a, a particularly rough weekend when I was, you know, I was in my pre-sanctification process. Um, and he said, and he just looked at me and he said, Fuller, what are you doing to yourself? I thought one day you were thinking about being a minister. And I said, well, I said, well, Mr. Garrett, I'm just trying to get it all out of my system. And he said, he said, how are you going to get it all out of your system if you keep putting it back in? And, and the truth is, you know, at that point, I, I hadn't realized that, you know, I could just take in and take in the ugly, the bad, the hateful, uh. and, and it wouldn't affect me. And, 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 you know, and, but it's when Jesus Christ sets you free from that. That's right. That, that repentance becomes a word of salvation rather than a word of con condemnation. Well, and that's beautiful. That's a beautiful uh, picture there. I'm not going to share with you all what my coaches told me growing up. <laughs> this is a family friendly <laughs> show, but I will say, just on that note, uh, when we begin to take in God's word, we see that we're all created in God's image, 
And in the gospel, in Christ, there is no distinction. We're all part of his body. And at the end of history, Jesus Christ is on the throne. And people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity are around the throne, singing salvation belongs to our God. And that's the stuff we need to drink deeply of, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, so that we can uh, then share it with others. I want to thank you for being a picture of God's love for me, uh, being conduits of his grace for me, and valued partners in joining this conversation that I'm going to say is just beginning. And we hope you join the conversation. Uh, We will have different resources, hopefully, in the links below. Um, Definitely want to empower a healthy conversation moving forward uh, because we're better together and the gospel frees us. Uh, We want to love one another, knowing Christ more fully so that our city can be more fruitful with the kingdom of God for his glory. Thank you.